Good morning, church. On a fine Sunday morning, God has given us. I'm glad you're tuning in. Uh, I hope you're worshiping with family and friends. If you're alone, you're not alone. Jesus is with you, and we're here together to worship uh, as best we can, uh, apart for now, but soon to be back together. Um, a lot of things going on, and a lot of different announcements, and we'll follow the guidelines and see how that goes when we get ready to reopen. Uh, remember to pray for one another. Uh, remember to uh, uh, give uh, to each other, to the church, and remember uh, that God is still on his throne. This morning, I wanted to look at uh, love. We've looked at our security in Christ. We've looked at divine comfort from the shepherd. We've looked at other things on how to handle uh, difficult situations, but I wanted us to remember that even in the midst of this pandemic, even with everything going just crazy, God still loves us. He loves you, and He loves me. And I wanted to look at not just God's love, but <clears throat> the extent of His love, or how much does He loves us. And so I wanted to pick a, a familiar passage of Scripture in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took the towel, and girded himself after that. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand it now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hand and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father, take your word and by your Holy Spirit make it come alive. Let it go forth in power. Lord, teach us your truth. Let us apply it to our lives. And Father, I just pray that your will and only your will be done. 
And Father, that the decisions we made that will honor and glorify you even in the midst of our homes and where we are watching you. You be glorified. You be lifted up. These things I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When we talk about love, you need to understand love is the billion-dollar seller. Uh, There's all kinds of TV shows, YouTube shows. It's on the Internet. Love is in books. Love, you have self-help gurus for love. Everybody's looking for love. As the old, old song used to say, looking for love in all the wrong places. It's the wrong place because most of the time, we don't even realize what true love really is. We think we do. But when it boils down, most love is narcissistic in our day. It means it's self-absorbed. It is self-centered. That's why you'll have people that think they're in love, and as soon as their needs are not met, they move on to the next one. We have people that uh, think they're in love until they see somebody better looking or somebody that rings their bell a little bit more, and then they move on. And that is not the steadfastness of love. That is not biblical love. Biblical love is always self-giving. Biblical love uh, doesn't seek to be served, but to serve. You see, Jesus loved us and loves us enough to do whatever it takes to save us. He did what it took to save us. He went to that cross. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, calls us into relationship with Him. And he loves us. That's biblical love. He gave everything he had to redeem us. See, that's what it means. It's doing whatever it takes to save us. And so, First John, or first, yeah, First John three sixteen describes it this way: We know love by this that he laid down his life for us. Jesus said, no greater love has any man than he laid down his life for his friends. And then he went right out and proved how great is love. In the midst of whatever you're going through during this time of isolation, during this time where you might be lonely, during this time where you might be frustrated, during this time when maybe your job has been ended or you're in financial difficulties or, or maybe mental health is not as good as it should be, when you feel isolated and alone, when you feel frustrated by all the world's events, realize Jesus still loves you and me. Now, it's interesting to me that the first 12 chapters of John dealt with Jesus' public ministry, okay? From verses, from chapters 13 to 17, it deals with his private ministry, with his own, his own disciples, where he is nurturing them, where he is uh, telling them things that they need to understand about his death and his burial and his resurrection. They need to understand about why he really came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, to seek and to save that which was lost, And so we come to chapter 13, and we want to look at the extent of God's love, or how far does it go, or what? how do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, first of all, in verse 1 and in verses 4 through 5, Jesus loves us so much that he completely humbled himself. Jesus loves us so much that he completely humbled himself. 
Verse 1 said, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, and that he should, part, should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And verses 4 and 5 says, uh, He arose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. What's going on here? Jesus loved them enough and loved us enough that he completely humbled himself. Remember the fact. See, the fact is that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the long-awaited Messiah, left all of heaven's glories and came down and walked among sin sinful men on sinful soil, insulted, treated badly, didn't even have a place to lay his head, all because of the great love he had for us. Paul said it this way in Philippians, let this man, Philippians 2, begin with verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, because he is God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, Jesus humbled himself and left all of heaven's glory, all of his divine majesty, and came down here to be born in that manger, to walk a perfect, sinless life, and ultimately to spread his arms and die on a cross in my place and your place. That's a fact. But it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end there means perfectly, completely. He loved his own, those who are his children, those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. He loved them perfectly, nothing lacking to the very end. Do we understand what that means? Think about it. Jesus is probably in the last few days of his life when this takes place. This passage is some of his final discourses to his closest disciples, to the apostles and others. He is in the middle of a pressure-packed situation. The Jewish authorities are plotting and conspiring, and, and Satan has entered Judas, and, and he has agreed to sell Jesus out at a private time, a safe time for them. He is facing the cross and the cruelty of the cross. He knows what is going to happen. He knows one of his own, as hurtful as that is, is going to sell him out, betray him, stab him in the back, however you want to say what Judas did. In the middle of all that stress, Jesus was still loving enough to humble himself like he did in this passage of Scripture. You see, he just proved what he said in Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's the fact. The streets of Jesus' day were dusty, dirty, hot, sweaty. 
when you think about him standing up and doing the example that that he did, his actions show his humility. Only the lowest form of a servant, the lowest do loss in the house, the lowest slave was assigned the duty of washing people's feet when they came in the door. See, they had already bathed. They were already clean like a normal person. But as they walked up and down the streets of that day in their sandals, their feet would get caked with dirt and grime. They were hot. They were sweaty. They might have smelled bad. And yet, here Jesus is as he gets up from the supper and he goes to do this. The question the commentators raised that maybe I had never thought of was, was before the disciples probably would have washed Jesus' feet, but not one another. You see, people in that day didn't wash people of equal status' feet. That was for somebody beneath you. And here Jesus is the master washing the ones beneath him's feet. They didn't get up, so Jesus did what was necessary. He humbled himself as master of them all and began to wash their feet. By his actions, he showed his humility. By his actions, he showed that as master of the little group, they should have been up waiting upon him. But they had been arguing again about who was the greatest. They weren't going to lower their their, uh, belief in themselves or or their self-confidence in themselves by getting down like a lowly slave. So Jesus gets up, does what needed to be done, girding the towel around him, taking off his outer tunic, kneeling with that wash basin and tenderly washing their dirty, grimy feet. How uncomfortable it must have been. How odd it must have been. It was definitely shocking to all of them. But Jesus did it. It was a degrading, thankless task. But in it, we see the humility and love of Jesus shining through. I believe that you learn a little bit of this humility when you have children. You know, when you have children, you start off changing their diapers. My wife was so gentle with our children. I just couldn't wait to get the job done, and she would just make it sort of a fun time for them. And I thought, how can you do that? That is so gross. But love shined through. We catch their vomit. We clean up after them. It amazes me that that my wife uh, loves me enough that even though it's a grading cast, she'll clean the bathroom, the toilet that I dirty up. It's a humbling experience because of her humble love. You see, she vacuums and sweeps the crumbs that I drop from the table. Not because it's something she enjoys doing, but because she humbly loves me. Someone has said that love does not exist where no humility is in action. Jesus showed the full extent of his love for us by his actions. Love is not something that's passive. Love is active. Love shows humility by actions. Love serves the other person or persons. We need to ask, what about us? Are there jobs when we're regularly meeting the church that we just really are not going to volunteer to do? That's not our thing. Somebody else will take care of that. That's not my gift. I've heard all the excuses in the world. But if you look at the folks who really love Jesus and who really love the church, that is us, 
You see them doing all kinds of little things behind the scenes. The little things we take for granted. And they loved. And they show by their actions that they loved. See, maybe it's important for us to love enough to do these little things to those outside the walls of our church. They can debate my theology. They can debate whether I'm a good person or not. They can debate how they feel about you, but they cannot ignore humble love. All of us need to be encouraged. Thank you, church, for loving. You continue to give. It's been amazing. The ladies who are sewing the mask, 35 to 3,800 masks have been given away. What a loving thing to do. Those who mow the yard, who continue to come and check on things, who, who want to make sure the church is doing right and doing okay, do it because of love, humble love. Thank you for having that kind of love. Let us set the example for those children that we have to take care of here in the church whether it's in the nursery or as they get older, whether through all the ministries we do, let us practice a humble love by our actions. Oh, how God will work in our midst, church, when we get back together. If we've humbled ourselves and sought Him and repented of our wicked ways, He'll hear from heaven, He'll forgive our sin, He'll heal our land, and we will be the servants of Jesus Christ, empowered to spread His word by the Holy Spirit. Oh, what an example Jesus set. But you see, Jesus didn't just love us enough to provide that supreme example of humility. Jesus loves us so much that he tells us how to be right with God. Look at verses 6 through 9 again with me. He tells us how to be right with God. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. And Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. It's a little bit confusing at first. There's the illustration here that Jesus has been giving. Uh, he, he, he gives the disciple a living illustration of love. And it's to point them not just to washing feet. It's not an ordinance of the church like the Lord's Supper or baptism. It's an example, you see, on how to be right with God. He didn't, he didn't back up. He didn't apologize. He, he, he didn't say, I might be right. He said, you need this. They didn't just need the physical washing. They, they were pointing to something different. There was a misunderstanding. That's why Peter says, oh, no, you're not washing my feet. Peter always had something to say. And, and he goes on and he says something else when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. You lose everything, Peter. And so Peter goes the opposite extreme. Not, you're not going to touch my feet, Jesus. I'm not worthy. And when Jesus says, well, you're going to lose everything. You'll have no part of me. He goes to the opposite extreme. Well, wash all of me, Jesus. And he says, you're already clean by my word. And in between those two extremes of the illustration and the misunderstanding, you see, Jesus comes to what he means. See, above the example, Jesus wanted obedience out of Peter. Peter, I have to wash you or you have no part in me. So what's the meaning? Jesus basic, 
explanation is not the washing of your body, but the washing of your souls. See, your body, we can wash ourselves, most of us, but you need the washing that marks you as my disciple. He's going to shed his blood on that cross. When we accept the blood of Christ to take away our sins, they were marked as Jesus. It's that kind of washing. It's a, it's, we come into the household of faith when we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in him. It's the washing of the water in the word, you see. If Peter wouldn't let Jesus wash him, if he wouldn't bow in a, a, obedience and it was such pride that he would have nothing to do with what Jesus wanted to do, then Jesus said, you have no part with me then. My goodness, that kind of pride still exists today. I hear it all the time. Well, I'm afraid to come forward during the worship service. No, you're not. You're too prideful to come forward during the worship service. Well, I don't want to have to be baptized. Well, you're too prideful to go through baptism. Too prideful to come to the altar and pray. Too proud to admit that you're a sinner. Too proud to admit that Jesus has to save you no matter what your age. There's no other way. And we're too prideful to admit that. To receive the washing from sin that he offers condemns us to eternity apart from him. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he told us how to be rightly related to God. You see... He wants to serve us in this matter. That's why he died on the cross. To save us from our sins. But we have to be willing to humbly bow our knees and accept the completed work of Christ on the cross as the Holy Spirit draws us and reveals Jesus to us. Many listening to me right now, this morning, have never ever accepted Jesus Christ publicly as your personal Lord and Savior. You can have every excuse you want to. There is none that measure up. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you lose everything. Are you really ready to lose everything? I'm not. I hope you're not either. The third thing is this. Jesus loved us enough to completely humble himself. Jesus loves us enough to tell us how to be rightly related with God. Jesus loves us so much that he set an example for us to follow. Verse 12. So he washed their feet. And after he taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. See, he explains what he's done, and we should do that to one another. Well, you know, I may wash my kids' or grandkids' feet, but I'm not too interested in washing your feet. 
But washing feet's not what he was talking about. He was talking about loving one another enough to serve one another in whatever way the Holy Spirit reveals for us to serve. You see, do we love one another to humbly serve? Do, do we understand that there are two kinds of people in the world? There are those who take and those who give. Those who take and those who give. Takers and givers. We need to understand that. Some people think that the church is here to serve them. Some people think that they are here to serve the church. There's a vast difference in that. In our day, we call, call the takers high-maintenance people. High-maintenance people. We call uh, the givers low-maintenance people. Now, if we illustrated this uh, according to automotive means, we'd say, well... A low-maintenance person is like a good, dependable Dodge. It's not real flashy, but it's steady, okay? It's dependable, it's comfortable, it's consistent. And high-maintenance people are like a Ford. They look flashy on the road, but they're in the shop a whole lot. Does that make sense? And if you don't like the brand name I use, pick a different one. Call it a Honda or a Ferrari. Or a Mercedes and something else. One's high maintenance, one's low maintenance. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, which are we? I believe we're the low maintenance people, but I also believe that I myself have to deal with that. I have to make sure pride doesn't creep in. That nothing is below me as far as what I need to do. Nor that, I need to think and Remind myself that no person is below me, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, clean or dirty. They're all made in God's image. And I'm called to love them and serve them so that they might accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We are all called to do that together. The last thing that I see is this. Jesus loves us so much that he never ever gives up. Jesus never, ever gives up. In verses 10 through 11, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Drum roll. Boom, 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 boom. And he drops a bomb on him. In verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. You are not all clean. You are not all clean. Yes, he goes on. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he sat down again. He said, do you know what I have done uh, to you? You call me teacher and Lord. We read that. And you say, well, so for so I am. If I then, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you to do them. Why did I say Jesus never, ever gives up? He knows Judas is about to betray him. In my heart, I believe he's offering Judas one more chance, believe. You refuse to believe. Satan has control of your life. Come while you still have a chance. But Judas was steadfast. 
All he could think about was 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. That's all he could think about. Here's being offered one more chance at grace. One more chance. And yet, he refuses. He goes out and betrays Jesus that very night. He felt bad about it later. Committed suicide. That's what the Bible tells us. An awful thing. But you see, Jesus is in control. Do you understand? Nobody took Jesus' life. He freely gave it. He said, I lay down my life and I have the power to take it again. Take it up again. This my Father has given to me. See, Judas would betray him. He had a little supper with him. He washed his feet. Can you imagine Jesus looking up in love at Judas's face as Judas is shocked and horrified? The very man he is arranged to betray is showing such tender love. He's washing his feet. How could it not break your heart? How could it not cause you to want to repent? But it didn't. But you see, Jesus is in control of the whole event, loving till the end. Jesus, with all of his knowledge, still loved. With knowing what Judas was about to do. Knowing the cruelty of the Romans. Knowing the cruelty of the common people. Knowing the cruelty of the Pharisees and scribes. Knowing the cruelty of the cross. Knowing what he had to do. And what he was going to experience. And Judas was behind being betrayed. And yet, he still loved my goodness, some need to come today and experience the full extent of God's love. Some need to forgive other folks. You have felt betrayed. You, you know they did it. You know they're not sorry for it. Yet you need to forgive because Christ forgave you and forgave me. And we are called on to live a life of loving forgiveness. Oh, what a Savior. That song says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when that happens to us, we need to respond. We need to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to come and rededication. We need to join the church. We need to surrender. Some of those things you can do right there. When we come back together, if you feel led to join the church, then we want you to do that. You see, we need to make decisions. We need to remember that during this time, God still loves us. And we're to lovingly serve others as he served us. My goodness, what, a, what, a, what an example. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the day, the Lord's day. We thank you for guiding us in your word. We thank you for your word, how it challenges us and comforts us and gives us hope. And Lord, how it wants us, makes us want to do your will, to become the men and women, boys and girls, that the young people that you want us to be. And Father, help us to do that. Let the decisions that need to be made be made for your honor and glory. Father, continue to protect our frontline workers, our, our nurses, our doctors, our EMTs, our 
uh, ambulance drivers, our, our firemen, our policemen, our military, our missionaries. Continue to protect our church family and our extended families. Keep us safe. Most of all, Lord, in the midst of this pandemic, would you be glorified? Would you stop it from just keeping to recycle? Would you bring about uh, such a glory to you and to your name that you would spread revival from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the very northern tip of our country to the very southern tip of our country? Would you let revival sweep across our land? Would you let it begin in my heart and the heart of our church and our association and in our state and across the nation? And not only here, Lord, but you've given the whole world a chance at revival to turn to you. Be with our Christian brothers around the world who are suffering from this disease and those who have lost family members. Help us to praise the precious name of Jesus and help us to love as he would have us to love. Let us follow your example, dear Jesus, and you be glorified as we do. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for your time, church. We will see you the next time. Goodbye. at the Gospel Baptist Church. This is a trying time for us. This pandemic is not selective. It attacks all of us. But we have a Father who protects and loves His children. I have a scripture that may help you through this time. It's Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. Do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteousness right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be ashamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but you will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. This is both a command and a promise. The command is fear not, and the promise is we are not alone, and God said, I am with you. There is a hymn that may help you during this time as well. The Gaithers and the Whites sing it beautifully, and in this song, it helps me understand that our Father is with me daily, and he holds my hand. Here's a few lines from this song. I don't worry about the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who knows tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. We can take refuge in these words, because in Romans 8, 3, 1, if God is for us, who can be against us? We are never alone. We can take comfort that God is with us. I'm here for you as well as our deacons, Brother Gary and Brother Galen, and we all love our church family. With God's help, we can overcome all hardships. Thank you for a second of your time. If you have a need, please reach out to me or contact the church office. May God bless you and your loved ones. We all miss you.
to pick 